behold, a chocolate and chalk pie is not very nice. <laughs> a chocolate and chalk pie is not very nice. Once, when I was young, I had some hair. <laughs> Very real witches like to wax regularly. Oh, wow. Very, Very real, real witches, witches like, like to, to wax, wax regularly. regularly. Wow, that's a good one. I like that. Mm. I'm going to use that. Stiffens up the tongue. <laughs> that's not what you want. No, that's true, yeah. Hello and welcome to Time at the Bar. I'm your host, Maz. And I'm your other host, Floz. Are you still with us there, Floz? Just about now, just about. Yeah, well, don't worry, we'll soon be cracking open some beers and that will make you feel all the better. <laughs> it's been one sweaty day here today and, I, I mean, I suppose we shouldn't be replacing our electrolytes with beer lights. <laughs> it's probably a poor choice Science Science I'm going to science everywhere Oh dear I'm sure it will work out just fine Yes Um. How is everyone today? Are you alright? Other than the sweating out at uh, work Yeah, and... yeah. Bit, bit tired and a bit Yeah, you know, yeah. A bit gluey a bit gluey It's yeah. been a busy couple of weeks Well I think we say this at the beginning of every podcast it's at the been, moment It's been It's just bonks. been a busy couple of months isn't it? But that's it's nice. It's nice to see things busy again. Yes, it's nice to be busy again. It's mm. nice to be seeing friends. It's nice to be seeing family, as we did this weekend. Hello, Just gone. family. Hello, family. Hello, um, family. But, you know, we have also been drinking plenty. We had a no- lovely trip up to Nottingham, and we got to have proper cascale for yeah. the first time in a while. Well, I mean, <laughs> we have had some down here, but... Yeah. I think it's probably having a pint of citra, the best pint of citra I've had in a number of years that probably capped that off, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so today, our theme, we're going to be discussing two legends of beer. And uh, the first one today will be the inimitable Nin Cassie, the Sumerian goddess of beer Uh and of course what kind of beer podcast would we be if we didn't do our best to pair up this story with a beer that has taken her name yeah i'm gonna crack into this yeah do you want me to tell you a bit about yeah can you tell me a little bit about this right there you do you want to pour it out then i'll do the pouring and you do the telling so yeah we've gone for um wild beer so based in somerset um, we've gone for their, their Ninkasi, which I believe is a 9% yeah. strong saison. So yeah, Wild Beer were founded in uh, in 2012. Uh, they were based in Westcombe, which is famous for its cheese, uh, in Somerset. And specialise in sort of wild fermentation, mixed firm, um, barrel ageing. Their approach was very much about food uh, pairing with with beer as well. Yeah, and I, I, like on their labels, they'll always have like a little selection of three. It will say like, um, oh, this plus this plus this. Uh, so on this one, it says bubbles plus apples plus wild yeast. Yeah. So it usually those will include like an ingredient. They wanted to kind of they well 
from my understanding, simplify things down as much as possible, didn't they? Into like core ingredients and an yeah. idea of tasting and being able to pair that up with food. Yeah, and that sort of extra element, that sort of extra special ingredient that made something pop. So yeah, this is um, based on the Belgian style saisons um, and there's copious amounts of New Zealand hops in it. So when fresh, it should be popping like that. Um, lots of sort of, you know, green sort of gauge and sort of fruitiness and uh, apples. And it's also got freshly harvested Somerset apple juice and wild yeast in it. So what we've got here is an example that will not be highlighting the fresh New Zealand hops, but it'll actually be demonstrating what happens when you keep a bottle for a period of time as we are want to do on a mm, regular basis. Yes, so, we do tend to hang on to these things a little longer than uh, most. Yeah. <laughs> so, Well, this is out of the stash, isn't it? And we, You know, with these things, you never know whether they're going to work or not. But mm, It's always a nice experiment. And this one was a gift to you a number of years ago. I think when we tried to work it out, it was about six or seven years ago, was it? Yeah, I think it must have been about that. Um, not, not six, no, I mean, seven or... Eight years oh, ago, it was God. 20... Time. What is time? 2013, 2014, I think. Uh, yeah, that probably sounds about right. God, Flaws, where is our life going? It is so, going very swiftly in the right direction. So, wild yeast, apples, yep. New Zealand tops. Yep. What are we thinking on the nose for this one? Well, it's hard to move past the very sort of bruised cooking apples mm, of aroma. It's very, it's... And sort of, sort of also a bit like um, apple crumbly as well at the same mm. time. It's got that slightly baked apple kind of rum, a little bit of bread. I'm getting a lot like of toast. almond. Yeah, so there's definitely that as well, isn't there? There's almost like that cherry stone almond in the aroma. Oh, quite different on the palate though, isn't it? Mm. So there's a little suggestion of um, oxidation in the beer. Which is... But it's not, it's not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be quite a bit... Got a bit more, um, you know, sliding towards sort of the vinous and the maybe even more towards like the the sort of sherry end of oxidation. Mm. But it's not. It's sort of retained a lot of its. I mean, so also what we mentioned there was that it was wax covered, so that's a good seal on there. It smells fruity and pretty spicy as well, and it's quite. It's quite. It still has a freshness about it. It has like a. Sort of maybe slightly damp straw kind of aroma to it. Yes, yeah, slightly damp straw. I can see that. Very, very. F yeah. Sort of refreshing, really, yeah. in a sense of. And a touch of. Sort of smells a little like. When I say musty, I mean it's probably more the sort of spicy vanillin sort of oak mm. kind of aroma in there. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it was okay. Was it? Was it put into barrels at all? Don't think so, but it no. seems to have picked out those sort of slightly woody, musty sort of notes. You know, almost like sawdusty as well. I don't think that's rather pleasant myself. Did we mention this one's made with a champagne yeast rather than a... No, we didn't. Um, yeah. So, well, hang on. Champagne yeast, but also a wild yeast. Yes. So it's a mixed fermentation. Well, I'm assuming some of the wild yeast is coming off the... The apples. Oh yeah. So the Somerset apple juice, um, but I don't know that for sure. Maybe there is a a wild element that is not, you know, is not stated there. I and mean, I mm. should have just read the bottle, and that probably told us everything we needed to know. But that's interesting, considering this style that, well, this beer that they they've been making pretty much since they set up in two thousand and twelve. 
Um, yeah. That would make it a mixed firm before mixed firm was a thing. Uh, I mean, they they did it from a from their inception. Hmm. But I think there was plenty of people doing it before. But oh, obviously, right. what they have done is they um, they made their brand about you know a lot of it was about that. So they were a relatively exception in that that sense. But they sort of only just pipped a few people to the post on it in the UK, and I think there was a bit more of it going on further afield. Yeah, so it does say um, that it is uh, that ye- that wild yeast is added to the mix. So, yeah, and however, we like to take things just that bit further. It's the wild way. Once bottled, the beer undergoes a secondary fermentation with champagne yeast, giving it a brisk spritziness on the tongue. I see, a secondary fermentation. Yeah, so it's the champagne yeast that's doing the secondary, which makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, that's um, it's in a lot better form than I thought it was going to be. It's a lovely, we didn't talk about the colour of it, it's got this lovely sort of amber, sort of hazy amber colour to it, and it's... I think I remember it being lighter than that visually, but mm. that might just be. I remember it being, um, yeah, quite pale, really, like a. So I mean, you know... that could be a touch of the oxidation that's happened, but it could also just be that it's, you know, batches have changed a fair bit since the beginning. Because I, I do imagine. think this is an early one. I can't. It might even be in one of the earliest bottles they did. But I can't remember for certain because well, it's certainly... the other thing is we couldn't find the date on it, could we? No, we couldn't find the date, unfortunately. Uh, it's probably hiding somewhere like under the wax on the bottle cap or something. Yeah, I don't mark We could sit here for ages just picking off the... Oh! No, I, t- I looked at it already. It's not on Oh, there. you've already looked. Yeah, I have already looked. Never mind then. Well, either way, it's a very um, interesting experiment mm. in mixing apple juice and... Well, because this is another thing that I suppose this kind of blend of um, cider and beer, which a lot more people seem to be doing at the moment, yeah. this is probably an early example of that. Really. Yeah, although this one in the modern does say sense. that it's just Somerset apple juice, not rather. Yeah, cider. but I think some of them but, are using apple juice, aren't they? Yeah, and some of what they do as well, they use cider in some of theirs. So yeah, there's mm. a good mix of there. So yeah, so Ninkasi from Wild Beer Company. So speaking of Ninkasi, obviously the only thing I really know about Ninkasi is the famous uh, Sumerian ode or song to Ninkasi, which is all the about... The hymn. The hymn to Ninkasi. That's right. And the fact that, yes, Ninkasi is an ancient well, Sumerian goddess. Yes, absolutely. Well, I have a little bit more information here for you. So I hope, I hope you're you. going <laughs> to give me the rundown and I'll be able to tell everybody afterwards all my great knowledge, thanks to you. Yes, well, this one's a little bit trickier. Obviously, our normal format would be, let's go from... The very beginning mm-hmm. to the very end of whatever the thing we've cho- the subject we've chosen is. Yeah. And it's not that straightforward with these stories. Um, so I'm going to give an overview of who Ninkasi was in Sumerian mythology. Okay. So Ninkasi is a tutelary goddess of beer in the ancient Sumerian religious mythology. Uh-huh. Um, she is the goddess made to satisfy the desire and sate the heart. So her origin story is that um, she um, was born through the ministration of the mother goddess Ninhursag when she was healing Enki. Now, Enki is the god of wisdom, freshwater, intelligence, trickery and mischief, crafts, magic, exorcism, healing, creation, virility, fertility and art. 
Yeah, so, it's quite a CV, really. Yeah, it really did have a CV. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think they often uh, attribute a lot of these uh, uh, things to these yeah, gods. They'll give them a whole like, list like of responsibilities. Um, so anyway, um, Enki was um, sick and close to death. And uh, the mother goddess Ninhursag, um, in treating him, drew out Enki's afflictions. And in each one, in each affliction that she drew out of him, a new deity was brought into the world. So yeah. the story goes. There were eight in total and Ninkasi was one of them. Um, so... Each of the supernatural beings born this way goes on to produce some kind of great benefit for humanity. And the, I see. so right. the great benefit that Ninkasi brought was, of course, good times, good times, By beer, the liquid good times. But she is also, as I will get onto in a little bit, responsible for bread, which oh, yeah. uh, they're well, they're very, very closely linked, very closely related. Um, just to clarify, so. Um, Sumer is the earliest known civilization in the historical region of southern Mesopotamia, which is, in modern terms, southern Iraq. Yeah. Um, emerging during the Chalcolithic and early Bronze Ages between the 6th and 5th millennium BC. Um, it is also one of the first civilizations in the world, along with ancient Egypt, Norchiko, and the Minoan civilization, and the Indus Valley civilization. So, uh, so the Sumer civilization the sumerians um they lived along the valley of the tigris and the euphrates uh -huh. um and the sumerian farmers grew an abundance of grain and other crops the surplus of which from which enabled them to form urban settlements yeah um so proto writing dates back before 3000 bc the earliest texts come from the city of uruk and gemdest nas nazar Gemdest Nazar. Gemdet Nasa. Nasa. Nasa, probably. Gemdet Nasa. Yeah. And they, Who knows? <laughs> and they date, anyway, they date between uh, 3500 and uh, 3000 BC. Um, so this is important because the Sumerian written language um, is one of our earliest representations of a beer recipe. Mm -hmm. It's the earliest known representation and that recipe is the hymn to Ninkasi yeah um and this so is the bit I know this is the <laughs> bit that you know so the the hymn to Ninkasi is a poem which denotes the recipe for brewing beer it's 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 thought that the reason it was written in a hymn form or poem form was that the people working and brewing would sing it as they brewed to teach the um, apprentices yeah. how to brew the beer. Because imagine they, so, they weren't all um, able to read either. So yeah. there's only a certain section of most societies up until very recently that could read. Absolutely. So to sing it was the best way to, to learn, wasn't well, yeah. it? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Ring a ring of roses, yeah. Ring a ring of roses. Or... <laughs> <laughs> what about the Black Death? No, the Black, the, Black, the Black Death. I kind of think of um, when I'm. Uh, trying to encourage the kids I look after to wash their hands. I go, this is the way we wash our hands, wash yeah. our hands. And yeah. suddenly they want to wash their hands. So yeah. uh, <laughs> nice. Well, you don't need to trick people into wanting to No, brew, no, it's a lot easier. I wonder if I can teach the kids to brew beer. <laughs> Maybe it might be a bit that, questionable, that, that yeah. one. I'll, uh, I'll backtrack on that one quickly. 
So, yes, they used to sing the hymn of Ninkasi. Yeah, absolutely, as you were saying, because people were, um, very few people were literate, the hymn to Ninkasi um, it had a, a, a good rhythm and cadence and it it, may, it means that it's easy for people to remember. Yeah. Um, so it begins with the flowing water and then they make the bapir, which is a twice-baked barley bread. Yeah. Um, so this is where it comes in that um, Ninkasi is also related to bread baking because when you break it down, this recipe really is a recipe for baking bread. Yeah. And there's an extra stage at the end that they, in which they created the beer. So it's mixed with honey and dates, this bread, this twice-baked barley bread. Um, and then once it had cooled on reed mats, it was mixed with water and wine before being put into the fermenter or whatever vessel they were using it was probably some yeah. kind of um clay earthen, earthen jar, earthen jar. Yeah. yeah so after it had finished fermenting it was placed into a filtering vat which makes a pleasant sound and then placed appropriately on a collector vat from which the filter beer was then poured into jars so according to the hymn the pouring of the beer was like the onrush of the tigris and euphrates right. which is taken to mean that like those two rivers beer brought life to those who drank it very nice ah it's very interesting isn't it um i just love this relationship between beer and bread which you see in this story and in this hymn um because there was another god which i came across um I, I think it was the uh, Aegir, which is the uh, one of the Norse gods. Yeah. Um, who I wanted to cover for this, but I couldn't quite get enough information about him, so I'll just slip a bit in here. He was uh, famed for brewing, but I think he was a baker more, first and foremost. Yeah, I mean the two, the, the twin disciplines, gone hand in hand, for, you know, forever. And also the the importance of of sort of baked loaves, so the bread and things like that. Alongside, you know, agriculture, alongside beer or wine. And even in religion, it's represented several times over, isn't it? You know, you even think about, obviously, with, with in the Christian faith, you've got Jesus with the breaking of the bread and, you know, so the representation there alongside, you know, it's basically, it's the staple of humanity, isn't it? When you look at it that way, because even whether it's the unleavened flatbread or whatever it might be, you know, we've, we've basically lived off with bread and beer or wine and things for for several several thousand years absolutely um so basically yeah that is the that's like an outlining of what the hymn says i would recommend going to look it up it's on um well it's on the internet you can definitely find the hymn in many it's, places it was a bit internet. long i didn't want to print it off and read the whole thing out because i felt like you know it's people are here to to drink and listen to yeah no, absolutely, yeah. So <laughs> they have to listen to us drink. They don't want to be listening to poetry, goddammit. Um Except that for our other niche podcasts. Very niche podcasts. Um But what it what is really um interesting as well is because it's this it comes from this basically a bread recipe, mm. uh it gives you a real idea of how of that kind of consistency that the final product must have been. It must have been really porridgey and really you know, um, probably not very pleasant to look at. Is that so? That's what you've seen, or is that what? Well, you've, because you've another thing that the um, that the Sumerians gave to the modern world mm. um, 
in their in their um, cuneiform and in their um, artwork, yeah. it is depicted that um, they used to drink through reeds, yes. straws. Um, so they'd have the big vat in the middle and everyone would have a straw drink to drink it. straight out of it because all the matter would sink to the bottom and then you'd have like a, a thinner liquid at the top. Yeah. Like So... Um, so it was best drunk through a straw. But it's really interesting that they that they obviously they developed these methods around uh, drinking this. Uh, probably, <laughs> but it's a, a bit so- weird. It's a big social as well, isn't it? You know, oh, absolutely. Sat around a giant, um, a giant earthware pot, drink, mm. drinking out of straws. <laughs> I, there is also, to my understanding, I believe it comes from Sumerians as well. Um, early depictions of um, sex happening because uh, uh, that was obviously a big part of um, a lot of ceremonies, of course. Yeah, Drinking of course. and sex, uh, particularly in Egypt as All well. But um, yes, there is a picture online, if you look it up, of um, a woman oh. bending over oh. with a, a gentleman standing behind her. Oh. Very intimate. Sure, he's a gentleman. <laughs> I'm not sure he's a gentleman from the way the how close he was to her. <laughs> but she's drinking as he is uh, entering her. Oh, for goodness! Oh, oh, what? This is positively pornographic. It, well, it is. It's early pornography. No, I mean your descriptions. Oh well, I could do a dirty. So it's oral porn for people. <laughs> Audio porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different type of oral porn. <laughs> I um, would be very impressive. <laughs> so, but anyway, so she's 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 dipping the beak. She's a... dipping her beak while he dips his beak. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so Marin's knew how to yeah, do it. Yeah, they certainly knew how to do it. They really did. Anyway, that's basically all I have for Nin Cassie because um, that's the story. Really, she was a goddess. She were responsible for beer. So now, in the build up wrote... to this, I remember you saying to me though that there was something a bit. A little bit interesting though about Ninkasi as well, in that Ninkasi was not only um, the brewer, but also the beer. Mm. So there's this Absolutely. transubstantiation mm-hmm. sort of going on. But yes, I so you telling me about this, and I was very interested. Are you got you're it? very interested, and then I didn't I didn't take it as far in my research as I wanted to. But yes, they they describe in the in the hymn and in other Sumerian uh, writings. Mm-hmm. She the, the the term for ninkasi and the term for beer is it, like are um, sort of one and the same. They're, they're, they're really interchangeable. And sometimes they'll say ninkasi when referring to the goddess, and sometimes they'll say ninkasi when referring to brewing or to beer, which I thought was interesting as well. And this kind of just so deeply tied in with these practices and with what they were doing. Yeah, um, no, to make the beer, that it was it was part superstition, uh, part religion, part yeah, um, and and just part real like reverence and worship of this. Yeah, of yeah, this yeah. And deity. I, you can see that as well, can't you? Especially you know we're talking about you know three thousand BC or so. Mm. That sort of notion of. Um, you know, we think obviously as a mythological sort of thing now, mm. but then it would have been a completely spiritual thing, and it would have been you know part of the abundance of what the earth gave to us, and then Cassie therefore would have been 
sort of held in such high reverence, but also it was like you can see the two things would be one and the same because you know beer to somebody who's never ever seen anything before and has this intoxicating effect it's like magic yes and it absolutely. is like this, this sustains us and also has this profound effect you know this potent aromatic wonderfully sort of expressive drink allows us to feel sort of different things and relax and you know get a little bit out of it and this that and the other and, and so think, it must have been like a magic potion and i think that's really where my thought process for uh comparing it to transubstantiation came from is this idea that how they reasoned what yeah. was happening in the in the drink yeah. how it went from being a, you know a basically a, a bread mixture yeah. to being a fermented alcoholic drink yeah, no, um, they obviously didn't didn't know about uh, microorganisms and and yeast and things like that so they didn't realize that there was a process going on to so then it was the goddess coming down blessing the drink entering the drink and becoming the drink yeah 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 no i mean it's 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 that um symbiotic process mm. as well that's i think it yeah it's really it's rather beautiful isn't it but i mean you know that as well the fact that up until very recently in you know sort of a in a in a context of time wise that really it's only within the last f- several hundred years mm. that we refer to yeast as yeast prior to that it might have been god's breath or mm. you know something Absolutely. along those lines where there's an idea god coming down and entering just, the wine yeah, the way blessed it and made yeah. it made it into this beautiful new the magical thing this substance that was just completely different from what it started out as um and it was just like whoa whoa we've got to keep you know, that's where you can see also the um, su- uh, superstitious element comes yes. in because you do, don't do anything different from what we did before because mm. that's how we get, you know, this is how it Sing gets the best. Song. We must do the same repeat, thing. Repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat. So you can see that that gets ingrained into it. And so, you know, um, ingrained, you know, bad pun. Oh. There you go. <laughs> First accidental pun of the day. But yeah, beautiful. Right, so that's Ninkasi and this is Ninkasi. Yes. Yes, we've got to finish these drinks off before we move on to the next one. So, um, but up next. Up oh, next. Well, coming to a glass near you. And, and this one is something of a. Um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? I'm struggling today with my words. Yeah, same here. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag, history wise. It's a bit of a. a, a a confusing story. This is a bit of a patchwork quilt, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. This is a bit of a patchwork quilt story. And um, some of those patchworks are not... Well, <laughs> you don't really... We don't really know, do we? So it's... This, exactly. This one seems a lot... That one has a mythological quality to it. That yes. It feels like it's a narrative. And also... This feels like... Well, that It's one... a series of histories that maybe overlap and in, are interwoven and maybe they're not so definitive and that's therefore a bit more of a legendary... Yes, well, yeah, this is it, yeah. Ninkasi was a goddess. She was worshipped. She yeah. was a figure in their religion, in the Sumerians' religion. Mm-hmm. This character we're about to talk about is folklore, is in the true sense of... Sort of a Robin Hood figure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the character is based on a real human being. Yeah, which but particular one? Exactly, we don't know. We don't know. Or we can... is it an amalgamation of several individuals exactly. and individual names that have been crossed over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've, I have a, a nice broad sense of uh, this one, which is Gambrinus, we'll be getting on to now, 
but I'm very pleased that you've delved a little bit deeper than my sort of <laughs> random sort of you know like I've got little pointers in my head that are like it could be this it could be this it's this it's this and this is who it could be yeah that was a very vague way of putting all that but I have all these different little bits of information in my head and they're sort of little spider web and I'm hoping you're going to just tie that into a proper web make well, it a little bit I neater. hope I can I really hope Hopefully I can. We can catch the fly of Gambrinus in this net <laughs> web net <laughs> mixing all the metaphors now but do you want to have a beer to go with it or you've given up oh what Why you've given give up? up right fair enough oh what so you think you're going to get that more, whole 750 bottle to yourself more for me so we are going to have a delicious little drop here now it's a very special bottle as well really it isn't is it? an incredibly special bottle that you've tricked me into opening oh, i'm sorry <laughs> i just said oh i'm going to be doing the history of gambrinus can we open the rosa de gambrinus that we've had for yeah, the best so, part of a decade yeah well you know there's always a good opportunity to try it now this is interesting to see the cork seems to have been leaking somewhat but that is because we made it travel. Yeah, we may have taken this one on a little tour of the UK before we actually uh, so it stayed in a cupboard for ten years, and then well, and then we took it, and, then... and then we took it on a three hundred mile trip to and from Nottingham. And... Several different formats. My stopover in Cheltenham at Daya, so it's had a bit of a journey. Yes, <laughs> and then. Um... Well, because we, we originally what... planned to open it in Nottingham and then we didn't, so it came we... back again with yes, us. Yes, it came and... back and it's now... Oh, no! It's... It's gone wrong! The it's cork has broken. Wrong. Only the bottom, though. You should be able to get that off without it being a complete... Sad disaster. So this... Right, the cork. Just one second and we're going to get a scraping <gasps> noise here because I've got to... Delicate oh. operation... It's a bit sad, really. I was looking forward to a good pop with this one. <sighs> the nice thing about these is it tells you when they were bottled. So when was that one? Bottled in Brussels. Oh, so no, this is... Season right, 2017. This is not the bottle that you're talking about. We must. <gasps> this is not the one we were talking of. This is only five years old, Floz. Yeah, so that's good, though, because... Um, yeah, so this is the 16 to 17 season. So, yeah, that is nice, though, which means that somewhere still we have a much, much older bottle. <laughs> oh, well, that's good to know. Right, then. Some Rosé de Gambrinus. Those are fresh. Yep. Ting, ting. Ding, ding. Look at that colour, eh? That's really interesting, isn't it? It did say... Well, I'll let you get into it in a minute, but... Well, it... you can just add that bit if you want. Well, I had a little look on the website, on the Cantillon website, to get well, a little bit of information. Yeah. About them. Um, so Cantillon... I've never heard of them. What are they all about? Who, who, who are Cantillon flogs? <laughs> um, who Cant... is Can't Lion? <laughs> Cantillion. Um, so Ooh, yeah. Cantillon was founded in 1900 by Paul Cantillon. Uh -huh. uh, and then... Uh, as of 2011, Jean-Pierre Van Roy is uh, the head of uh, Cantillon now. Yeah. Um, this beer is a blend of lambics and raspberries, so 200 grams of raspberries per litre of beer. Yeah, it's quite a chunk. Uh, so it's beer with a slight, slightly acidic, fruity and fragrant taste. Uh, just like Creek, the fruitiness of Rosé de Gambrinus is at its best when the beer is young. Yeah. Um... 
with age, the lambic will take the upper hand, and but this is at the expense of the fruit component. So I'd say that we must be probably tipped over the edge on this one being fruit dominant and now being being to the lambic. True, but I mean dominant. Um, it is still, still kicking. Has a, a very nice raspberry. But that bite of the it's raspberry... That raspberry seeds, though, isn't it? Yes. You it's when you when bite you... into the seed and it yeah. finally gives way and you get that real jet sort of like bitterness, but also this beautiful... I mean, it is, it's that. It's just raspberry yeah. seed in particular. 100%. But it has that earthiness as well, which is also almost more like... Almost touching on strawberry... You know, proper strawberries, like wild strawberries bedded into straw and a little bit of sort of um, earthiness as well it's a beautiful um fragrance isn't it it mm. just is it's i mean you're saying that the the fruit element has died back a lot but it's still really really it's popping still really fantastic so yeah because this is the other thing about this is unlike a creek it is a two-year-old lambic mm. so it's two-year-old lambic with fresh raspberries boshed in there Oh yeah, and that acidity is absolutely delicious, isn't it? It's not, you know, like obviously with lots of lambics, you get get this really refined lactic sort of uh, sharpness, you know, edging on citrus, um, and some are slightly more sort of um, acetic dominance. This sort of turning towards that, just like little suggestions of balsamic. But this has got just a little, little bit of a little bit of both. Or maybe it's not even really acetic, it's just a warming acid that keeps it sort of, um, just, just coats the throat slightly whilst the lactic acid helps it just be really nice and sharp in the finish. So it's really crisp and still really refreshing, isn't it? The carbonation's lovely, it's on the low side, but just gives enough just to get in your gums and just, just to get that retronasal so you can, as you drink it, you get a second waft at the back of your nose. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. I mean, that is that's really interesting. I was um, when after I read the thing about uh, the fruit dying off, I was a bit concerned I wouldn't enjoy it because I I do enjoy the the sort of yeah. almost syrupy fruitness of a fresh intense fruit, yeah. Um, of the fresh Rosa de Gambrinus. But yeah, but I always. Like this I say, is I, just. I agree with you. I also really like it at this stage, though. It's really. It, it feels very different, though. It feels like a really quite different drink. I mean, it's almost in keeping with some sort of good, you know, some really interesting modern, like orange wines, or crossing over with maybe even yeah. some, some rosés, even potentially some of the. And it does. It does have a little orange hue to it. Yeah. But... I don't remember there being in the fresher ones. Well, I guess that probably is, you know... That's the oxidation. Yeah, that's a bit of that, and it's a little bit of ageing. And um, and then that's probably also, the you know, the, the fruit sort of dies down. It's going to slowly lose its um, vibrancy of colour mm-hmm. um, and takes on that ever so slightly more, you know, like we talked about before, that sort of sherry, amber, sort of orangey kind of hue that you get around the, around the sort of meniscus, around the edge especially around the bubbles at the edge of the glass, you'll start to see that. But yeah, that is absolutely divine. Mm. So, that's Gambrinus. Gambrinus. From Cantillon. From Cantillon. 
lovely. Oh, and it's uh, 5%, isn't it? So it's a little bit lower than our yeah. Ninkasi. Absolutely, yeah. I believe it is, yeah. 5% on the money. In that case, I'll uh, delve into the story of Gambrinus. Tell me about Gambrinus. Now, let's separate the man from the myth and the Mm. mythology and the legend. And is it one man? Is it just one person? Well, that is the question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So, uh, he is stated, Gambrinus is a Belgian mythic personification of beer. So says Randy Mosher, from Mm. the author of Tasting Mosher, author of Tasting Beer. Um, so, there are several people who this character could be based on. The general consensus seems to be um, certain figures from the Middle Ages in and around Belgium and Northern Europe at the time. Yeah. So, the first one I'm going to talk about is John I, Duke of Brabant and Flanders. Yeah, okay. Who lived between 1250 to 1294. So, Brabant was a wealthy beer-producing jurisdiction that encompassed Brussels. So, the mo- yeah, it's like... Modern-day Brussels. Modern-day Brussels. Um, the Brewers Guild in Brussels may have made the Duke an honorary member and hung his portrait in their meeting hall. John is translated to Jan and first to Primus. So, Jan Primus, Horst Dornbusch, the author of Prost, um, he posits that um, this Jan, uh, the Jan and Primus was bastardised to Gambrinus. Um, So we know the character of Gambrinus was famous for being a warrior, a lover, a bon vivant and as politically skilled as he was ambitious. So says Moshe again from Tasting Beer. So his amorous adventures, uh-huh. this character of Gambrinus, eventually led to his demise in a dubiously fought duel in which his challenger tricked him with a look-over-there technique. Um, by accusing... Look, there's knockers over there. <laughs> Not quite. He basically accused him of cowardice because they, hand- they were having a duel, hand-on-hand combat, and, um, and his, the, the person facing him said... Ah, you must be a coward. You have a second coming on. Someone coming to replace you. You must be tired and a coward. And when Jan turned round, Jan turned round to see who stepped in, his opponent stabbed him in the back. That is not. No, it's not fair on, play. is it? Really, it's not on. I um, he was gutted, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think he was. He was de de kidneyed. <laughs> Um, That's awful. <laughs> um, so this this idea that Gambrinus, this character, was that he was basically a knight, uh, you know, this warrior who who got around a bit with the ladies, <laughs> is obviously well. That's what I was saying about the knockers. Yes, but... absolutely. Look oh, over look, there, Jan. Some knockers over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's more of a carry on technique, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? A carry on up the. Up the Kyber Car- or carry on? Carry on Gambrinus. <laughs> carry on bearing. <laughs> so, as you may have noticed on the label of Rosa de Gambrinus, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a knight with a completely naked woman sat upon his knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit of a controversial label, really. It's, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. It, it's obviously an interesting piece of artwork, but the. I mean, Cantillon have trodden some very touchy yeah, ground. Well, um, they have. 
been rebranding uh, over the last period of time. So I, I'm. I would I would be interested to see if they change the label on this one because it's obviously not really was, necessary, is it? No, it's not. But to wrap into the myth, you know, you can see why. Well, they've done which, it. Absolutely. And it's which like I... an artwork in a gallery. If you saw that in the gallery wall, you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Mm. But obviously there is a different element to this and it's, um, mm. you know, a lot. I think there's a lot of um, feeling about it not being a, uh, an appropriate thing to put on a label full stop and also absolutely. glorifying what looks like, you know, drink beer and here's a sexy woman sitting on your lap and it. Yeah, Rather absolutely. than people actually getting the fact that it is the myth. The myth, the myth, the mythology that yeah. goes with it. They're just Who like, oh, there you go, good times. <laughs> I mean, they've obviously, they've trodden some delicate ground around um, some other names of beers as well, yeah. where it's uh, so Fafoon, Fufoon. Yeah, but I mean, you know, mm. these, yeah, it's it's all sort of, you know, old dialectic jokes and stuff. And yeah, mm. I understand it. And you also, you, you, we don't really need it in the modern age. No, really. we really, it's not very necessary at all. Anyway, uh, so that was, so the first person... I talked about was John the First, Duke of Brabant and Flanders. The second possibility is a man called John the Fearless, who uh-huh. lived from 1371 to 1419, and he was the Duke of Burgundy. So he was born nearly 80 years after the death of John the First of Brabant. Yeah. Um, so the large and powerful Duchy of Burgundy also produced beer and was some distance south of Brabant. Um, John the Fearless had several titles of nobility, one of which was Count of Flanders, a title he inherited in 1405. Mm-hmm. He's credited with introducing or legalising hops within the country of Fla- within the county of Flanders. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Um, before they switched to hops, the Flemish, like many other Europeans, brewed beer with a herbal medley called Gruet, mm-hmm. as you would know. Yeah. Sometime after John inherited rule of the county of Flanders in 1405, he's said to have instituted an order of merit called the Order of the Hop. According to Jean-Jacques Chifflet, who uh, lived 1588 to 1660, John awarded the honour to curry the favour of his subjects in the county of Flanders. Recipients of the order drank beer in celebration, as you can imagine. Yeah. So you can you can see how, with this really intense tie to beer, yeah. that this character in particular could be a real contender for, yes. for yeah, being yeah, yeah. the real Gambrinus. Uh, the nickname Gambrinus is a possible corruption of a few Latin phrases, cambarus, meaning cellarer, or chenib. Birinus, Gani uh, Birinus, yeah, Birinus, yeah. Birinus, I think so. Meaning tavern drinker. Which that's an interesting one because you know, to listen to there is a real um, similarity, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. And you can imagine that with different different languages and different accents that could sound Gambrinus, you know. Mm. So, um, and I, I mean, if, if with such strong ties to beer drinking, beer, uh, you know. The, the introducing hops mm. and things like that you can imagine that he might have become like nicknamed like a cellar keeper or something like that through that merit yes um yeah yeah so that is possible i find that interesting these these latin phrases um that could suggest it that's where the name comes from um he's my personal favorite for Contending. He's your candidate. He's for, my yeah, candidate. I was going to say, when we get to the end of this, we'll, we'll pick him in order, but I think... Well, 
already said that. I think, really, those are the two main ones, but there's a bit more... I do have a bit more information. So the Bavarian chronicler uh, Johannesburg Tomer is credited with naming Gambrinus the king of beer in 1519. Mm-hmm. So both of those people still fit. They, they predate this, the yep. first naming of Gambrinus, so that's fair. In his magnum opus, uh, Annals of Bavaria, German historian Johannes Aventinus wrote that Gambrinus is based on a mythical Germanic king called Gambrivius. Or yeah, Gambrivius, so, I suppose yeah, so it that's is. The lat- that's the Latin version of the name. Or, or, or Gampar, who, Aventinus says, learned brewing from Osiris and Isis. Ah, so that's the Egyptian connection. Yes. Um, in 1517, William IV, Duke of Bavaria, had made Aventinus the official histor- uh, official historiographer of his dukedom. <laughs> historiographer. Historiographer. It's a good word, isn't it? Um, Aventinus finished composing the history in 1523. The work that he compiled, Annals of Bavaria, extends beyond Bavaria, drawing a number of ancient and medieval sources. However, it is also a work that blends history with myth and legend, Mm. which I think is how so many of these things become so uh, uh, clouded in origin. It's like, you know, obviously in in the United Kingdom you'd have sort of legend of Arthur and things like this are very prominent and um, you know there's said to be various different characters that could have been based on mm. so there's definitely some truth in there somewhere and then bits you know like the oral history and then the poetic sort of narrative that goes with these a lot of the time completely changes how we learn about these characters and obviously they do massively evolve because somebody puts a creative spin on it at mm. some point and they dra- dramatise it a little bit because, you know, just read about a guy who was a decent egg and he did this, that and the other isn't particularly exciting. But if you make up these all fantastical mm. stories about the things they've done and the sort of the gallantry of it. All, Absolutely. Uh, it suddenly takes on this whole sort of, you know, new level. And I think it's quite clear to see even as you, even as you it's quite clear to see even with that example that you've used there that very quickly something could have changed from, you know, fact to sort of becoming just complete myth but Mm. actually still having its roots in something that was real and i suppose at the time um medieval europe the idea of knights roaming around and uh, you know and the the kind of activities they were getting up to as well you know like you said the gallantry the chivalry um, but also living lives that a lot of people wouldn't have had a chance to live. Mm. So these stories are past word of mouth around Europe. Um, of course, they get muddied, these stories do, but it, I can imagine that it very easily could just be a complete myth that someone's written sort of to romanticise what was going on around the... You know, it's sort of a nondescript night. Here is a night... Here is a a man named Gambrinus who yes. drinks and ha- can have any woman he wants, and he he's also a fierce warrior and basically every ideal, and all of the stories you could, you know, imagine rolled into one human being. It's very much the you know it's very much the counterpart of Robin Hood as well. Right? Absolutely, Robin Hood. There is undoubtedly several characters that could have been Robin Hood. Um, but 
none of them quite marry up to be the thing that is said to be and were not necessarily in the right place at the right time or buried in the right place at the right time, you know, and all these different things. And, you know, most of the time they are either sort of lone wolves or nightly figures and they take on this. But I think it's because people needed that as well. It's that sort of this, the, the storytelling um, element goes alongside people needing this idea of chivalrous, um, powerful figures that would look after the greater needs and the, you know, look at causes that were beyond, you know, below most most of the nobility to even care about. Mm. But they did something for other people, and you sort of see that. And I think it's probably that sort of storyline comes in from, from from the sort of lower classes, if you like. It's the people that go, oh, you know, these powerful figures, and it's romanticised, and you know, that's a story that gets handed down that way. But yeah, so that's it's fascinating, isn't it? So we've got three contenders. Really, yes. There's three, three contenders. contenders. One of them, though, is a nondescript king, isn't he, basically? Yeah. Um, a German king, and the other two are dukes from the Belgian area. Um, yeah, and you never know whether, basically, it could have even been like, the original was the German king, and yeah. then people that loved the Duke of Burgundy later on were basically attributing that to him. And yeah. Sort of, trying to aggrandise him and make him this, you know, even more special figure in, in their heads, you know, and tell the world about it. Because, you know, that's that often happens as well. Just big somebody up and it's actually they might steal it off something else and apply it to somebody they know, mm. which probably wouldn't do so much in this day and age because a simple Google search finds out they're, they're not the king of Namibia or whatever. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Though, you know, catfish would have us think otherwise. Well, yes, that's very true, yeah. Yes. Right, well, I mean, they're, first of all, fascinating sort of uh, myths and legends and uh, and histories. Uh, but then when you tie it into the this sort of notion of um, mythology into beer, so something becoming something else, which in many ways is beer. It's that sort of transformation from raw ingredients to something that has taken on in history a spiritual quality at times a magical quality and in the modern day and age maybe a purely more sort of uh, romanticized quality but definitely a scientifically um romantic sort of one anyway absolutely <laughs> and so yeah this gambrinus has been beautiful and really enjoyed Ooh. the ninkasi as well um two legends of their uh, of their of their own worlds yes I've got nothing else to say about it. No, I don't think I have much else to say about this either. Let's just drink and be merry. I will have some other stories. Yeah. So I decided to go in first off with the the famous ones, with the ones that, you know, anyone who's read anything about beer will probably have heard of these names said at some point. Uh-huh. Uh, but I found some really interesting ones which I'd never heard of before, particularly ones that come from um, countries in Africa. There's um, some. There's one from South America, I think I've found. Um, so we're going to do a few of these. I'm going to split them up, though. Don't worry, I'm not just going to go off on... <laughs> like, I'm not turning this into a podcast about myths and legends. But... I really enjoy reading these stories, so I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep telling you all about them. I might not always be able to pair them with beer in the way that I have with these ones. No, but I mean, we were sort of lucky on this one, but also, you know, you choose the 
they're they're the most famous. And, they're you know, the one big of them, One of them is the recipe of beer. Yeah. And the whole mythology of beer being made, and the other one sort of stands for an understanding, a modern understanding of beer goodness, if you like. Gambrinus is often kind of. Well, he's used in a, advertising. And yeah, and he's shown as a figure who's sort of like, you know, it's like the king of beer, basically. It's like, the know, king come, come of round beer. and I will make you all very happy with some beery goodness and a good old shindig. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, it'd be interesting to get into some of the others. I'm sure we can just find a delicious beverage to go with them. I don't think we'll have a problem there. Mm, no, I think, yeah, we'll maybe loosely relate to the beers if we can. Mm-hmm. But if not, It'll just be fun to have a drink and, and talk some uh, more history and some Absolutely, more Absolutely, yeah. Well, I really enjoyed that. Good. I'm glad you did. Um, yes, if anyone has any more uh, requests, we're working on one in, at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, we're we? working on a couple of things at the moment. One based on a request that we had and another one that's going to be one of our libation episodes. Where we delve into the history of style. Into the, the nitty-gritty of a specific style and... So yeah, lots in the pipeline, as we're always claiming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we've got another busy weekend ahead of us. We have indeed. Going we up to Nottingham indeed. again. Ooh, it's, like it's like we almost live up there. Mm. <laughs> For uh, the opening of our first ever guests, the Liquid Light, yeah. Tom and Grace from Liquid Light, they've finally got their own brewery space. Yeah, they finally pulled their fingers out and got, got on with the job properly. They uh, they hinted towards it being a, a plan when we interviewed them. Yeah. And they've actually, yeah, it's all happening. It's all come to fruition in a particularly difficult period of time. So, you know, fair, fair, fair fucks to them. Yes. Well done, Tom and Grace. You've done an amazing job. And we're going to, we're really looking forward to coming up on Friday for the friends and family uh, event, the launch event. And so if you're in Nottingham or if you're able to get to Nottingham, they're open. Their tap room is open from this weekend, so the first weekend from of Saturday, June. Yeah. So get down there because it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it looks stunning already. Yes. So we've had a, we've had a little sneak preview, but um, honestly, it's going to be well worth the wait. Excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for tuning listening. in. Get, get out. out. Oh, you sound so tired. Oh, my little tired. Get out. You're a little tired. I'm so of, done. End, with end of the you. night, like. Get out. I'm done with your shit. No, seriously. Get Get out. Thank you for listening to Time at the Bar. If you have any beer recommendations, uh, suggestions for episodes, or you just fancy getting in touch, then please email us at tatbpod at gmail.com. If you use social media, then please follow us on Twitter at Time at the Bar Pod or Instagram at Time at the Bar Pod. Thanks again for listening.